1: You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game.
0: This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power?
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Power Producers Podcast where we are refining and redefining the sales game today. We have got an electric guest for you, Mr. Kurt Turnison. My guy's got the phantom R in his last name. I'm not even going to lie. had to ask for the pronunciation help. Kurt has developed a product called Risk Review, which he believes is going to revolutionize the way you write insurance inside your agency. And he's not one of these guys from the software world that's trying to figure out how to make it work inside of insurance. He's just like my absolute favorite insurtechs of agents, by agents, for agents. Kurt, first and foremost, is an insurance agent himself. What's up, man?
2: Hey guys. Thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. Talking about Absolutely. tech and software and sales.
1: All of it. Yeah, like that's that's the idea, man. That's my life every day. We love so those things. Before we yeah, before we get cranked up in risk review, um why don't you just sort of get everybody caught up to speed and, and gain instant credibility by talking a little bit about your career in insurance because you're you work at a great agency.
2: Oh, thank you, man. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I work in an agency in Washington, Connecticut uh, called Erickson Insurance Advisors. Uh, been there for the last fifteen years, and uh, you know started there. Uh, came from a different role. Uh, came from a role at an outside sales uh, position with paychecks, uh, where I was you know doing cold calling, banging on doors. Uh, dialing for dollars every day. And Erickson was one of my clients. Uh, and they were, I was working with them for probably two or three years, uh, before I, I uh, got the opportunity to join the firm. So, uh, what happened was, uh, they were going through a transition in ownership from the father to the sons. Uh, Spencer and Peter Holden are the sons. They were buying the firm out from their father. And so as the paychecks, representative, I got the opportunity to help them through that transition to the new payroll system. And so uh, from there, uh, they kind of got to see how I worked. Uh, They liked my professionalism. They liked uh, the the way I I helped them through the process. And they said, you know what, we could probably teach this guy insurance. And uh, so they invited me to lunch. Uh, I remember it to this day. I remember what I had. Uh, It was um, roasted eggplant soup. At the GW Tavern in Washington, Connecticut, uh, still one of my favorite soups, but I can't find it anywhere. Uh, but we had a great meeting, and they said, you know, basically, we want you to come on board, uh, help Spencer with some of his production because he was uh, doing a lot and needed help, and uh, and and we'll teach you insurance, and then you know we'll get you to be a producer eventually. That, that sounded very good to me, uh, but I also had some other ideas that I shared with them. Uh, things like websites and uh, different marketing campaign ideas and stuff. So I, I had lots of ideas at that time. And so they were interested in that as well, thankfully. And so I jumped on board. And uh, that was 15 years ago uh, today. And uh, since then, you know, I've been uh, doing a lot of different jobs at the firm and uh, enjoyed, enjoyed it immensely. Uh, always learning, always digging into something new. So uh, it's been a fun ride.
1: I think the thing that's interesting, though, in, you know, Spencer is somebody who's very much understated, and I respect the fact that he ensures some very well-known names. So we're obviously not going to name his clients on the podcast, but for people to get a flavor of of what this agency does, multiple ex-presidents... Multiple Hollywood A list celebrities. Like when you talk about high net worth, it's a whole different animal in Spencer's agency.
2: Right. Yeah. And and, uh, I did want to mention that the agency does specialize in working with successful individuals and families. And that could be anyone from, you know, someone who has a $750,000 home, a couple of cars, and an umbrella, all the way up to uh, the individual who, Owns a hundred million dollar condominium in New York, has a yacht, needs fifty million dollars of umbrella insurance, uh, has two million dollars of jewelry, so on and so forth. Uh, and, you know, uh, you, you talked about actors and actresses and people who have public profiles, you know, those types of individuals as well. So, uh, it is a very interesting niche and, uh, you know, learning it for the last 15 years and continuing to learn every day. Uh, Erickson is, is a, is an amazing place. Uh, And Spencer is uh, one of the best, if not the best in the country uh, at that at that niche. So super blessed to be. Well, I mean, listen,
1: man, I'm pretty I'm pretty vocal about the fact I'm not a huge fan of personal lines. Right. But but personal lines in Florida is different than it is anywhere else. I really think that that would be cool, man. Like if you're insuring high net worth people that have those types of assets, those potential liabilities or at least the exposure for it. That that's like writing middle market commercial honestly every single account has its own nuances and you have to know the right questions to ask and I feel like you're probably you know more challenged on a daily basis than you are if you're just sitting there at a desk answering a phone because somebody called in from an internet ad or whatever else Yeah I agree with you Kyle, think- kind of, you look like you want to say something Yeah I was just going to say that's quite
3: a bit different than you know Mr or Mrs homeowner calling in you know complaining about their $20 increase on their homeowner's insurance.
1: Yeah, no. And I mean, the thing that one of the things that's changed that I'd actually be interested in your thoughts on this, Kurt. But one of the things that I've seen more over the course of my career is the adoption of family offices, as opposed to just handling everything, you know, on your own in an unorganized format. And I know that, you know, Spencer's a huge fan of that and gets a lot of, of business from people who set up family offices, specifically for these high net worth people. Talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind.
2: Sure, absolutely. So just to back up, uh, let's define family office. Uh, So family office is, uh, it's a company that will help a successful family, high net worth individual with any number of things. Uh, There's some single family offices that will just work with one family. Say that family has, you know, uh, six different branches to it. And the family is worth $500 million. That single family office will handle soup to nuts, things uh, from uh, investments for the, for the family. They'll handle uh, securing rental properties, purchasing properties, uh, walking dogs, securing air travel, uh, buying jets, uh, anything the family needs, they could go through that single family office to get it done. Uh, and so they handle the billing for all of the billing, all the bills that the family needs to do. Uh, so, and then there is also multifamily offices, and multifamily offices will work with many successful families, uh, and doing the same stuff. Uh, typically, there's an investment arm to it, but there's also all of this uh, day-to-day activity uh, type things that they will do for the for the families as well. And so they become uh, a real trusted advisor for the family units uh, within that are part of the family office. And typically family offices will cater to individuals that have at least $20 million of of investable assets uh, because they charge a pretty penny for them uh, uh, to, to, to help the families with whatever they need. Uh, So a single family office would just work for that one family. And, uh, and the multifamily office might have a lower cost of entry, uh, but you know, still uh, Going to have a high cost for those families that are interested in that level of service. And for us as advisors, uh, as insurance advisors, we partner with the family offices because the family offices will often get involved in the insurance. Uh, the families will look to the family offices, say, you know, do we have the right coverage? Uh, do are we with the right carrier? Uh, or you know, our rates just went up twenty percent you know, the family office will do an analysis with the insurance advisor on that. Um, And surprisingly, you know, a study was done by uh, uh, Private Wealth Magazine several years ago, and I don't know if this has changed much, but several years ago, the stat was 7% of family offices deal with insurance for their clients. Now, I imagine that has increased over time, but still it's a very small percentage. So it represents a huge opportunity for insurance advisors uh, to network with them through places like uh Fox Family Office Exchange or other associations like that uh to build those relationships and start to offer their services for you know risk analysis and insurance analysis so it's really really an interesting space
1: hmm. I think it's important though for people to realize like you're you're not writing standard home and auto like right. this is there's a lot more complexity to it like to me. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, I don't know how well I'd sleep at night, man. I'd have to really, (laughs) I'd really have to up my game a lot. Like I'm good with, I could, I could go write a hundred million dollar company today and not lose any sleep at all. Cause that's, that's my, my wheelhouse, man. I know what I'm doing there, but if you give me a high net worth individual, I mean, I'm always gonna be wondering what didn't they tell me about? What asset did I miss? What's unprotected? You know, what right. what boards are they sitting on that I didn't have disclosed to me, or did I even remember to ask those questions and all of the stuff right. that go into it? And I know just enough to be dangerous because of my time at Baldwin, Kristen, and Sherman, right? So right. we wrote a lot of high net worth in, in Tampa at that time. Good grief, man. I, I just my hat's off to you and the fact that you guys are able to build an agency that thrives in that environment, but that's not all you do. Do you write like standard? Like if I were, would you, would you deal with a, a lowly commoner like myself if I were to come in and want personal lines from your agency? Yes, of course. You know, I, th- and, I and I
2: was going to say the same thing about commercial lines. Like I would not sleep at night writing commercial lines at all. Um, you know, I have a great team uh, at Ericsson that does commercial lines for us. I just send the referrals over to them and they run with it, uh, because if I had to write a tennis court or a habitational risk with multiple properties, I would not be comfortable with that. So it's all about specializing uh but yes, no, you know and this comes from Spencer and Peter, the owners of the firm. Ever since I started with them, you know we're looking to work with people that uh value us as advisors people who are looking to us for advice about insurance, whether they're paying $2,500 a year in insurance premium or $250,000 in insurance premium. We want them to look to us for advice and not just to, to remarket their account every time the rate goes up 20% or something. Uh, and so that's the philosophy and the culture we've built at Ericsson where you know, we're looking to build those relationships, offer quality advice, do the research so that we're giving accurate answers. But we'll work with anybody who wants to work with an advisor, someone that's going to put their coverage ahead of the price.
3: Absolutely. Sounds sounds it. familiar.
1: Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Um,
3: I, I I've got a couple questions. I want to go back to when you initially came on board, and and then your your previous career at at uh, paycheck. So you had mentioned you sat down and you had brought up some. Um, interest in, in websites and some other tech. So was that the first, first question is, was that just something that you always had an interest in on the side? And then the second question is how do you feel your experience at paychecks helped you when you transitioned into the insurance world?
2: Yeah, cool. Great question. Thanks, Kyle. Uh, I have always been interested in technology ever since I was like eighth grade you know, I had a, a video game rental business to my friends on the weekends. I, I rent out my super Nintendo, you know, to whoever wanted to pay 15 bucks. Um, and then just, uh, I remember in a yearbook I put, <laughs> I'm going to do That's something. Awesome. Same. <laughs> yeah, it was great.
3: 15 bucks. No for the sleepovers. System. You guys can't come over and hang out with me. I'm just going to rent you. My- <laughs> I'm going to rent <laughs>
1: my system. Yeah. I love that. Well, I remember- hey man, Listen. Been there, been there, done that. I'm a successful backpack entrepreneur myself. I love it. Yep. Yeah.
2: I went to a boarding school. So I, I, some kids came home with me for the weekend. You know, we'd, we'd spend time. But other kids would stay at school and they'd need something to do. So I'd, I'd rent them out. I had a Genesis and a TurboGrafx-16 uh, that I would rent out. But anyway, so yes, I've always had an interest in technology. Always knew that I wanted to do something with technology in my career. Uh, so that's kind of always been in the back of my mind and throughout my career, you know, I had another entrepreneurial endeavor that I did back in 2002. Uh, uh, it was a digital signage company where I put uh, computer screens in delis and restaurants and gas stations and stuff like that to help local businesses advertise their business. Uh, and so, you know, I built that business up for a couple of years, didn't end up proceeding with it, but you know, that was my interest in technology at that point. Uh, So my brother is a computer developer. He's a programmer. uh, So I've often, you know, had great conversations with him about, you know, what he's doing. And that's inspired me to want to continue, you know, my uh, technology endeavors. Uh, So, so yeah. And, and the thing about technology and and thinking about paychecks, um, you know, I was doing paychecks for probably three, three and a half years. And during that time, you get enough, you know, that's enough time to really sink your teeth into the business and get to know it. Uh, Over that time, I started to understand, you know, just the way we think, or I thought, is I want to make this better. You know, I didn't like doing the cold calling, knocking on doors. I didn't like, um, you know, doing the hard sell. Um, I'm more analytical. I wanted uh, people to see the value that I was providing and be able to demonstrate it through technology, so I built a spreadsheet that did this whole analysis. We plug in a couple numbers for their their payroll, and it would spit out here's how much you're going to save in terms of hard dollar costs, and here's how much you're going to save in soft dollar costs. So, you know, I was I was always thinking about how to use technology to make things better, uh, and uh, and so you know, going through the whole Paychecks experience kind of kind of helped me along that path, but. Uh, the biggest thing the Paychecks experience did for me was teach me that uh, the most efficient way to come to new business and new clients is not through forcing it down people's throats, uh, not through cold calling. Okay, um, it's through building relationships and it's through uh, building a brand, building a persona, building uh, you know an, a presence that people will know you for. And then they'll, when they need, have that need, they'll come to you. Uh, so that was the biggest thing that I got from paychecks, and and that really helped me in my career in insurance as well as I as I got started. But it was it was it was a it was a good a good uh, launching pad. Before that, I actually sold cutlery, um, which was uh, you know also very similar. I sold uh, Cutco knives for many many years. Uh, and Kyle, I,
1: I heard that you wow. have- May, hold on, tell yeah, out many, many many years. Many many, many I, I years. Kyle sold like months. <laughs> I was gonna say Kyle sold Cutco knives for yeah. days, <laughs> many days, many oh, yeah. days. Once I
3: ran out of family and friends.
1: Yeah,
2: well, uh, yeah, and uh, the first summer I did, I, I went through my whole high school directory. Uh, it was probably about 400 people. Lasted mm-hmm. the whole summer, uh, and just had a blast doing it. Uh, but it was a great training program. Huh. Uh, I went from the individual sales onto management. Uh, ended up starting my own office, hiring salespeople, teaching salespeople. How to do it, uh, mostly college kids, um, uh, teaching them the process. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. It was a great learning experience and a lot of fun. Also, taught me that sales is a very lucrative career, uh, something that I I probably want to stick with.
1: Absolutely, man. So, talk a little bit about risk review. I mean, we're sort of setting the table for that, you know? No,
2: absolutely. Thank you.
1: And you're talking about the spreadsheet that you build and all of that. Let's talk about how you got to where you're at today, what your product is, how, how it's used and in, in the problem that it solves or the me- need that it meets. Right.
2: Well, you actually mentioned something that uh, I remember um, was a big part of my uh, thought process in coming to develop risk review. And that was when you're dealing with high net worth clients, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And you don't know what questions... You didn't ask, you know, what boards do they sit on? Do they have any domestic employees? How many homes do they have? Do they, they own a property internationally? Uh, you know, do they want uh, equipment breakdown coverage? Do they want cyber coverage? All of these questions, there's there's so many questions and I'm sure it's the same. I know it's the same on commercial ones, right? So you only have so much time with a, a prospect or a client on the phone or in person to gather information. And a lot of that time is spent, you know, just shooting the shit, just having a good time uh, and gaining rapport or catching up. And so once you start asking the nitty gritty questions, um, it becomes very difficult to pull them all out to to number one, ask all the questions. And number two, um, remember all the questions that you're supposed to ask. So, you know, that that was kind of in the back of my mind uh, early on at Ericsson, I developed an original underwriting file uh, that we called. It was it was just basically a huge spreadsheet that had all these data fields that you could put information into so that you can organize the data. And uh, so I was already in that that frame of mind of I need to, as a producer, I need to collect all the information needed to accurately underwrite this account. Not only so I do a good job for the client, but also so I maintain a good relationship with my quoter and my marketing specialist, because I don't want them to have to come back to me time and time again asking, you didn't get the date of birth, you didn't get the VINs, you didn't get the driver's licenses. So there's all of that. Now, what happened uh, in 2015, I was very fortunate to get the opportunity to go through an educational program with Chubb and Wharton, uh, the Wharton School. And it's uh, Chubb developed a a designation called the certified advisor of personal insurance, uh, which is a, you know, it's a, it's a very in-depth designation focused on high net worth personal insurance. So, and as part of that program, we had to develop a, a project, you know, they basically say, okay, here's a framework for developing a project, but you're going to choose the project. You're going to design it, develop it, create it from scratch. And deliver it and present it at the end of the year long process, you know, along with all the other education. Uh, and so, you know, when you're in that environment, you're at Wharton School, you got Chubb executives in the room with you. Uh, your entrepreneurial juices start flowing. And uh, and that's what happened with me. And the minute they said that, I said, awesome, I'm going to make the most of this. I'm going to I'm going to try and tra- uh, transform my business as a high net worth personalized producer through this project. And so I went to work, I started doing research, like what are the problems I want to solve today? Um, what are the problems that my market is experiencing and how can we solve them? And so through that research, I figured out and I, or identified that the high net worth or successful people are massively underinsured uh, across the, the country, across the world. So that was the problem I identified that I wanted to help solve. And the reason they're massively underinsured is because you know they'll go out and buy a home for cash and they'll forget to buy insurance because they bought it for cash and no one told them to buy insurance. So now they got a three million dollar home on the coast in Florida with no insurance. Uh, that's just one example. Or they buy the home, get home insurance, but don't get flood insurance. And they or they don't get excess flood insurance because no one advises them of that. So I wanted to solve that problem. And I figured that the solution would be a technology solution. I'd be able to use technology to help streamline the process. And my my thought at that point was, okay, uh, I'm going to use technology to help me gather more information from the client than I would otherwise be able to do over the phone or in person and streamline that data gathering process. So high net worth are massively underinsured, solve it by improving the sales process with uh, better data gathering, okay? And so at that point, the InsurTech revolution was just kicking into gear. Um, I remember InsurTech Hartford, Stacey Brown up there was, uh, you know, just starting his association up there. That was amazing. I went to several events there, but it was just kicking into high gear where, you know, uh, the billions of dollars being invested was, you know, at least I was becoming more aware of it. Uh, And it was exciting. So I was like, okay, uh, I want to be part of that. And so I started building smart forms uh, to help gather information and I started testing them with my clients. Now, one of the problems was I um, I was kind of nervous or, or you know fearful about using a smart form with a client, uh, especially a high net worth client, because I thought, you know, A, they're going to say this is a poor client experience. I'm going to go elsewhere. B, they're not going to fill it out. I'm just going to end up being on the phone anyway. Uh, you know, it's just, they're just not going to like it. Right. And they're going to write me back and say, why are you sending me a form? Give me a call. Um, but in reality, uh, once I got over that hump, which I remember the time it was, it was a client emailed me, said, I'm buying a condo in New York. What do you need from me? Uh, and so I emailed him back and I said, uh, just click the link below, fill out the form and I'll get you a quote. And I was very nervous about doing it at the time, but 15 minutes later, I got a response in my smart form solution and all the information was there. More information than I could get in 30 minutes on a phone call. So I got him the, uh, I got him the quote and I sent it back to him. We bound a $5 million uh, apartment policy in less than 24 hours. So, and the client was perfectly fine with the client experience. And since then I've done that over a thousand more times, you know, in the last five years and all of them maybe one or two, you know, came back and said, Don't send me a form. Every every other one, uh, they they filled out the form in full with more information than I could ever get in a phone call. Uh and some of them even wrote back. And they can and do it on their phone. own time,
3: right? Like they can do it. They can do, know, it, on they their can own do time. it sitting sitting That's on right. their couch or, you know, when they finish dinner or whatever. They don't have to, you know, be available for the time period that you're trying to reach out to them. So I think that's important. That's what same thing we've talked about with the video proposals that we do. It's Mm
0: -hmm. at
3: their convenience. They can sit there and watch it at night, 11, 12 PM. And then if they've got questions, they can reach out and so forth. So I think that's, so I I guess the fear for you was just that you hadn't done it before. Like it was just something new. And you're like, "Ah, I don't know if they're going to respond well to this.
2: That's right. That's exactly right. And you, yeah. you think about the individual personality you're dealing with, too, you know, because some personalities, you know, they're right. very happy. They're right. lucky. They think, you know, they're going to be great. Uh, but other personalities, you know, you think that it might not work as well. So. Um, so, yeah, that that all comes into the picture. But talking about convenience, you know, I have some clients that will that will email me and say, hey, you know, or prospect. I just got one uh, recently. They're in Hong Kong. You know, for the entire, uh, for, you know, whatever period of time and they're buying an apartment at the same time. So they're 12 hours different. So that whole communication now is being handled over the, over the, you know, through the smart form and through email. So yes, convenience is a big factor that plays into it. You know, so, so anyway, back to the project, you know, I wanted to test them out. I tested them out. I started testing them out. I built a renewal questionnaire I started testing out the renewal questionnaires with my clients as well. And at Ericsson, we ended up building a special web page we called the Client Diagnostic Center, um, where we had four questionnaires, one for home, auto, valuables, and umbrella. And we'd send a renewal or a, an email to our clients uh, 30 days ahead of renewal with a link to the client diagnostic center. And they'd click on that, fill out form, we'd get updated information from them at renewal. And so that was also part of this project where I was testing out the forms, uh, you know, to, to improve this process of data gathering and streamline the sales and renewal process. Uh, so full circle come to the end, uh, I ended up developing, uh, you know, a library of smart forms that I used and then eventually Ericsson used uh, to help clients at renewal, help them with new policies and also help them with service. You know, because, you know, one of the things I recognize is that, you know, data gathering is not just at new business time. Data gathering happens when a client's buying a new home. It happens when they're changing their mortgage. It happens when they're, you know, uh, changing the usage of a car or a boat uh, or whatever the case is. Uh, So there's there's a lot of situations where uh, the smart form, uh, a well thought out smart form with all All the applicable applicable questions can be used other than renewal and new business. Uh, So, anyway, we developed the project and went from there.
3: You you may have just answered this question, but what was something that you thought you knew on the front end, but you found out after the fact that may not be the case?
2: Hmm. I thought I knew on the front end. That's a good question. Okay, so my project initially was to develop a website that I could market and send to clients, uh, or, or just have on the web and have that generate business for me as a producer. And so I went ahead and built this website with these smart forms. It would have a streamlined, uh, you know, uh, sales process workflow. And, uh, I thought putting up that website would organ. And if I wrote blogs and stuff, I would organically get a ton of new business. So what I learned is that you have to do a lot more than just build a website and write blogs to get new business. Um, you know, I probably got a good number of leads out of it, but for the amount of time and the investment of dollars that I put into that website, I was hoping for a lot more. So I guess the, the expectation upfront was I'm going to build this great website and they'll just come, but that's not how it works. You have to build the website, then you have to promote it, uh, heavily. That's, you know, building the website is probably 10% of the gig, 90% of it's after after you build the website. It's promotion, it's advertising, it's digital, digital advertising, it's blogging, it's video blogging, so on and so forth. So that was a, that was a big learning. And that helps me with risk review because risk review is the next site I built. And, you know, now, you know, I spend most of my time these days promoting it. You know, whether it's through a podcast, going to a conference, uh, writing blogs, uh, posting on LinkedIn, Instagram, so on and so forth. It's all about the promotion. I remember from Cutco. Promotion with conviction. That's what you gotta
1: do. <laughs> Kyle, did they talk about that in the three weeks you <laughs> Dude, worked there? I'm
3: so I'll say this about Cutco was, was good. I mean, just like um some you know, some of the other direct sales stuff that I did, it was just you kind of get thrown into the fire and you just have to do and you learn on the go and it's great experience but I, when i was the point where i was done with cutco was cuz like you'd mentioned you were hiring college kids
0: yeah
3: i was in college and they wanted me to come in on a saturday and we happened to have a home game and um i i, I rem- no i yep. did i went in and i was sitting there and they're like They wanted, uh, they wanted us to just bring like random items for them to slice with these super sharp knives. So like, you know, they wanted us to, I I don't even know what I had to bring in, but I I don't think I brought it in because I was a college kid and I wasn't going to go spend money on anything that wasn't beer and cigarettes. And like, I just remember them slicing coconuts and it's like two in the afternoon on a Saturday and all my friends are at the game. I'm like, this blows. So (laughs) I was there for like another week after
2: that. Yep. I remember many times like that, and I remember, you know, being invited to conferences as a college kid, and like, no, I don't want to go to a conference. You know, you taking me all the way out to no. Lancaster, Pennsylvania, to spend a couple of days talking about cutlery. Uh, yeah, and so I had a lot of hesitation <laughs> yeah. doing that as well. Uh, you know, what I learned after the fact is that those events were just like our conferences today. It's about building relationships. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, learning. But as a college kid, you're like, yeah, this is not cool. <laughs> I want to be out with my
1: friends, hanging out. It's Like, yeah.
3: dude, I want to go. Fu- I want to go funnel beers in the parking lot of Ray J. Like,
1: right? right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can your Cutco knife <laughs> yeah. sever this hose for my beer funnel so I like can attach it? Right.
2: Well, you should have brought that uh. into the training.
1: Yeah, no kidding, man. I, I mean, I think I those should have. It probably would have been frowned upon. Yeah. I you know, I think those jobs are good though. It's it's just like the the people that do like the rainbow Curbies. vacuums yeah. and all of that where they come dump dirt on your on your doorstep and vacuum it up and everything. Like I think it forces you to be quick on your feet. I don't know how I feel about it from like an actual yes. sales tactics standpoint, but I do think that there's a lot of value in at least you learn how to break the ice in a very right. very quick way, right? 'Cause you gotta you gotta get somebody one over yeah. to let you finish talking. Literally in the first 10 seconds, probably. So I, I do find value. I think, and, and it's funny because as I talk to a lot of my friends, a lot of people that I know that are successful producers, if you follow the path, like they all check the same boxes, man. Every single one of them was selling something well, door dude, to door so at when some I was stage doing in their this, career. This right? like
3: the height of the recession, man. I mean, this was like 2008. 2009 and i'm like trying to sell people i understand
1: you're getting assistance on your home <laughs> but please payment. please buy perhaps you can redistribute some knives. of those funds into some <laughs> yeah perhaps you can redistribute your some of those funds into some yeah, fine cutlery so good <laughs> wow but no i mean seriously i do think there's a lot of, of, of value there so what do you see on the horizon cart i mean i don't want you to give away like all of your ideas and everything but i mean what where do you see risk review being able to expand where do you see future development you know do you see that you might at some point push this into other segments of the insurance industry you know possibly pushing it into commercial or whatever because i mean the need is obviously there regardless of what the coverages are that people are are selling and you know honestly man I don't know that there's a tool like that that exists. I mean, most of what I see is like the rough notes checklists where you're going to go in, you know, and I know Zywave has that stuff, but there's, and there's some other, you know, people who have their own proprietary things, but, you know, back in, in, early stages of my career, it was Sage and Silver Plume. That's that's who we used to go to. And we would go and we would get like the the diagnostic checklist that we needed to use for a very specific class of business. And I mean you talk about old school man, it was literally every single possible line of coverage for every single possible exposure. And it was like three or four pages long. Right. Too much. I just I don't know what I don't know what the user experience exactly. is for something like As that. Say, you know what I mean? There's to be a
3: balance where it's it's like a short form, like you're talking about, Kurt.
1: Well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to send something like that over to one of my clients, yeah. but I also don't want to show up with that on a clipboard and and make it look like I'm just reading from a checklist because I don't know what I'm doing. Right, like it, that that would be my initial impression in the commercial space. I also know I'm not going to memorize four pages worth of questions. Or, or of coverage items and stuff. So I, I feel like there's a need there. But I, I'm interested, man. Like, do you do you see expansion in the future at some point? Yes,
2: absolutely. there, there is so much opportunity for expansion uh, because, as I said, uh, there every every conversation where you're gathering information can be turned into a smart form. Uh, you know, the other day I had a client buy a golf cart, and they said, "Kurt, I'm I bought a golf cart." Uh, how do I get this insured? So there's two ways to do it. You could add it to the auto policy or you could rely on the homeowner's liability coverage to to cover it. But there's information you need to be able to uh, determine that. So I said, okay, let me take this uh, opportunity and I'm going to build a smart form for this. So I built a quick form. It's probably got 20 20 questions in it, uh, which ultimately someone might answer 10 of them with conditional logic, guiding them through it. Uh, But I sent it off to her and she filled it out based on the information she put in. We said, okay, we got it. We have to ensure this on your auto policy uh, because you're going to register it in the state. So, you know, that is just a small example. You talk to uh, a commercial, uh, you know, producer who's got this huge account, and every year that account needs to fill out a form for risk risk control or loss control. And that loss control form has traditionally been a PDF that they send and they have to fill it out like 10 or 15 times. So take that, turn it into a smart form and make it super simple. Uh, Use conditional logic, use the technology that's here today to make that an easy process, you know, because on on the commercial side, you know, besides just filling out renewal applications and new applications, there are other data gathering activities that happen throughout the year. So it's taking those. And sometimes it just happens because we have a client and I'm working with one right now. And they say, you know what, Kurt, we need these seven forms on your platform. Those are gonna save us so much time uh, with chasing people for information. And so we'll work with that client, we'll build these custom forms for them and they'll, they'll get to use them. So uh, where, where do we go from here? We keep building. Uh, right now, we're just keep, uh, keep doing what we're doing, building the smart forms, adding them to our platform and to our library. So that all of our users can use them, and uh, and eventually, you know, uh, extending into life and health, extending into commercial, uh, and we delve, we have a few forms in those areas right now. Our our main body of forms is personal lines right now, um, but continuing to look for ways to streamline the process too. You know, combining forms together. You know, we we're, we're working on a form right now for builders' risk, uh, where you can go through, fill out the form select the companies you want to uh, send the application to, and it'll spill over into filling out those applications for you. So when you get the email notification, it'll have all the forms already filled out. So, you know, that type of thing is on the horizon as well. Um, OCR technology is something that I'm really interested in. Um, uh, optical character recognition, uh, where you can upload uh, a declarations page and we can uh, train the technology on that specific declarations page, what, the, where the coverages are, uh, where other important endorsements, where the important information is, so that it can read it, pull out that data, and put it on a screen for you to review, analyze, uh, and, and do your analysis on much more quickly than if you're sitting there with six different deck pages trying to you know, find what's important. Uh, so that's something I'm interested in too. So, you know, sky is the limit as far as what you can do with this technology. You know, I'm not saying that I want to do this, but it's a possibility. It could turn into an agency management system where you, or a a quasi CRM, if you will, where you, okay, we have the data in the system. Well, now we just got to get it out and push it to the places it needs to go. So whether that means sending it to HubSpot. So that you can trigger off emails, or we can trigger the emails in our own program, Um, or sending it to an agency management system. You know, there's all kinds of ways to make it more efficient. uh, uh, As far as the you know, in the future, you know, right now, what I'm really passionate about and really focused on is just sharing with other agents that this is a better way to gather information, and you can do it with your clients. They will be okay with it. In fact. Many of them will like it, uh, whether they're a millennial or younger or a baby boomer. You know, uh, I have clients that run the gamut from you know medium net worth, low net worth to super high net worth that are filling out these forms and they're doing it quickly. They're doing it on their time. Uh, so uh, right now it's, it's really a practice of uh, demonstrating the product, demonstrating how I use it, how our users are using it. And and just giving people that confidence that it's okay to send the form. Yeah. There you have it. What have we yeah. missed, man? Nothing. No, this has been a great conversation. I think, uh, you know, it, it It all stems in the, uh, the process of improvement, continuous improvement. You know, I started 15 years ago in this business not knowing anything. You know, my dad was in insurance for 35 years, so I knew it was a good business. But um, I didn't know anything. And so I came in, I, I kind of drank from the fire hose. I sat right next to Spencer, right outside his office, overheard his conversations. He would be my mentor. He was my mentor, still is my mentor today, teaching me how to do the business. I ask him questions. You know, is this a good idea? Is that a good idea? I ask him questions about risk review. I ask him questions about insurance, you know, insurance production. And and, and it's great. So it's just that process of continuous improvement. and. uh Constantly thinking how can how can I do this better, like, how can I do this better and not being afraid of change uh because you know being afraid of change can can stop you short, uh so I think that's it in a nutshell it's that's it all on the table, <laughs>
1: nice, man, yeah, well, how do they get a hold of you, man? Let's just assume somebody's like, hey, i want to ride, I want to ride with this guy. He obviously knows what he's doing, he can make my life yeah. easier, I want to see what this thing morphs into." You know, how do they how do they engage with risk review to use sure. your product?
2: Uh, so, great question. Thank you. So, you can go to riskreview.com, which is our website, R I S K R E V U.com. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm on there all day, every day. Uh, and uh, check out our YouTube channel to search risk review. We're on there. Uh, but yeah, just feel free to reach out. My email is Kurt, K U R T, at riskreview.com. Happy to talk to you, whether it's about risk review or sales or high net worth uh, sales, whatever the case is. Um, happy to talk to you, happy to learn from you and and look forward to it. So thank you both for
1: this conversation. Was just, this was awesome.
3: Yeah, thanks for coming on.
1: Good deal. Ladies and gentlemen, Kurt Turnison from Risk Review. He's ready to help you out. Reach out to him. Let him know where you heard him. Kurt, I wish you nothing but success, man. I know you're out there hitting the grind of seeing your trade shows. You know, we talked on a on a Zoom, you're doing the podcast circuit, so I wish you nothing but the mess, man. People, support agents that are out there trying to make our lives better. Reach out to Kurt and see how he might be able to help you with his product risk review. Other than that, we're wrapping up, people. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Power Producers Podcast. Make sure you slide over to iTunes. Last time I looked, we have 97 flipping reviews. Mm. Come on, people. Can we get three more to get to at least 100? I mean, we get 20,000 downloads a month, and we got 97 reviews. It's not good numbers. My, I get more, I've, got, I've gotten more than 97 numbers. emails from up. people saying, hey, I learned this, did that. Yeah, come on, people. Help us out. Anyhow, catch you next time. See
0: ya.